The last verse that we read says this. Uh, And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Wow, that's an amazing phrase that he uses there. Who are these? All of these children, who are they? These are the children who God has graciously given to us. It it kind of opens up for us, that little verse opens up for us, uh, just the way God thinks about children. They are are a blessing, they are a privilege, for a family to to have children, then it is a blessing from God. And of course God can bless in all sorts of of ways and, and uh, there are many situations where uh, the, the fact that there aren't children doesn't mean that God isn't blessing. Of course not. Uh, but we're going to see how, how that works out, how, how these children are a blessing to God and why this particular little uh, story is so, so special. The reason it's so special is because of the background. Here we've got these uh, two men. Let me tell you a little bit of the story. What actually happens for us to get to this point. Uh, Those of you who don't know, there's two brothers, uh, Jacob and Esau. In fact, we looked at them last week, Jacob and Esau, uh, two brothers. And um, I guess they've grown up with resentment in their lives. They were twins. And uh, Esau was the older one, Jacob was the younger one. And uh, right from the very beginning, there was... Uh, resentment between them. In fact, we, as we read the story unfolding, uh, there is a huge history. You know, talk about family baggage. These guys have got family baggage. There is all sorts going on. You know, uh, Jacob has stolen his father's birthright as far as, far as Esau is concerned. Uh, and as far as, uh, as far as Jacob is concerned... Uh, Esau just didn't care at all about his father. He just, he just gave away his birthright for, for, um, for just some food. Nothing, you know, a pot of soup. Uh, and so that's kind of the spark for this, this resentment. And it becomes so bad that Jacob actually, he literally has to run away. He runs away because he fears that his brother is going to kill him. Uh, and so this, um, this cheater called uh, Jacob, goes away and he, he travels to a distant place. And uh, while he's in that place, he, he gets connected with, with part of the wider family. Uh, he gets connected with Uncle Laban. And, and the really amusing part, uh, and the way that the Bible kind of tells stories and describes the way the story unfolds, is that the cheater becomes the one who is, who is cheated. Uh, and that's what happens in this, in this messed up uh, situation. Uh, Jake, uh, uh, Jacob goes away and um, I don't know whether it... I, I've never asked this, but maybe there was a moment where Abby, you looked at Philip and Philip, you looked at Abby and it was just, wow. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, I, I'm in love, you know, and it kind of goes spinning around and it's... You, you were, you were, uh, you were uh, in the... Na- in the out at sea, weren't you, Philip? Yeah, so you had good solid legs. Well, maybe they went a bit kind of at that point where you saw Abby. 
Well, it happened like that for Jacob. Uh, he just fell in love. And uh, he fell, fell in love, love with uh, Rebecca. Uh, and so he, he speaks, or there's a conversation goes on with Uncle Laban. And, and Uncle Laban says, well, if you, if you uh, work for me, then you can, she can be your wife. And uh, he comes to the marriage ceremony. And uh, then the veil gets lifted after the marriage ceremony uh, has taken place. And he finds that behind the veil is not Rebecca, but Leah, the one who he didn't love. Thankfully, that didn't happen. But there was a moment there where Jacob, the cheater, becomes the one who is cheated. Uh, And then we find that, uh, I mean, I don't know how Leah must have felt about this. It must have been terrible, really, for Leah. She's the one who wasn't loved. (laughs) And um, Jacob really loved Rebecca and uh, uh, Rachel, sorry. (laughs) I shouldn't get the name Rachel wrong, should I? Really really loved Rachel. And, um, And here's Leah. And Jacob goes to his now father-in-law and he says, you've cheated me. He says, we'll work for another period of time uh, and then you can marry Rachel. And actually, or rather you can marry Rachel if you commit to work for a period of time. In, in actual fact, it's a very short time. I think it's it, is it a week later that he marries uh, Rachel and then he has to carry on working for a long period of time. But here's Leah just kind of on the sideline. And that becomes a whole series of antagonism and and mess and all the rest of it. But during all of that time, it seems as though God's blessing is on this family. And, uh, And now Jacob kind of returns to type and becomes the cheater again. And and through a whole series of really clever and smart maneuvers, he ends up with uh, huge uh, wealth in terms of flocks and and there is great blessing. And then there comes a point where he says, right, I'm going to go back, I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave Uncle Laban and we're going to go with everything that we've got and and we're going to uh, take our trip back and finally I'm going to face it out with great fear and trepidation. I'm going to go back uh, to my homeland and and face out my brother. And uh, and isn't it interesting that this this mess that we end up in, it's contagious actually uh, because Rachel, as she leaves, she steals all of the household goods from her father and cheats her father out of those household goods. What a mess that's going on in all of those different steps. <laughs> wow, they're on the way back. I guess Jacob is travelling back with massive trepidation. Have you ever had one of those days where you're travelling back, or periods of time, where you're going back to something and you feel as if Your stomach is absolutely tied up in knots because you do not know how it's going to turn out. And he's on his way back uh, to, well, is my brother still angry? Is he wanting to kill me? And then he hears word that his brother is on his way with 
uh, a whole entourage, in fact a whole lot, seems like a small army that's in, on his way to meet him. But the outcome that we've just read is remarkable, isn't it? Because what we actually see is when uh, Jacob and Esau come together, when there is that final meeting together, there is that embracing and then there is this wonderful verse where Esau asks Jacob, who are all of these who are with you? And he says a remarkable thing. He says these are the children who God has graciously blessed me with. Now, that might not sound remarkable until we think about it. What kind of guy was Jacob? He was a kind of guy who would spend probably every moment of his, of his day uh, in his previous way of doing things, trying to work out, trying to scheme how to get the best advantage, how to, how to get all, as many flocks as he could, as, many, as, many, as much of the flock as he could off Uncle Laban, uh, and how to, get, uh, how to get the birthright from his brother. You see, Jacob spent his life trying to work out, trying to plan, trying to scheme, trying to manoeuvre, so he got the best. And now, he says, looking into the eyes of his children, these are the ones who are a blessing from God. It seems as though there is such a turnaround in, in this man's life. He suddenly sees everything that he has, uh, the representation of children that he has, as this is all about what God has done in my life. There's been a huge turnaround that's taken place. I think the turnaround takes place the previous night. Because the previous night, Jacob comes face to face with God. He's on his way back. He's making all sorts of plans of how to, how to approach his brother. And, and he finds himself, he goes off by himself spending time. And then he comes face to face with a man. Who the Bible says that he wrestles with him. Right the way through the night. Wrestles with him. Uh, have you maybe got to that point? Or are you still running? Have you got to the point of, uh, of realising the reality, the, the truth of God, the living God? Are you finding as though maybe some of you, I know some of you, are beginning to go through that process. You feel as if you are wrestling with God. He's making demands on you. He's, he's pushing you to the ground. He's holding you. He's straining you. And you feel as if you're pushing back and straining. And, and there is this fight going on. Now for Jacob, in this picture that we see here, this real event that took place, took place we see Jacob coming face to face with God in Jesus on that one occasion uh, where Jesus or one of those occasions where Jesus makes his appearance before he comes to dwell in this world and we see that Jacob is wrestling with him and then all of a sudden God just touches Jacob's hip 
and his hip is dislocated. And we read from there on, he, he hobbles. He's hobbling. He, he can't walk properly. The sun rose and he's limping. I, I don't know whether any of you have had the unfortunate experience of dislocating a joint. I've never done it. I don't want to do it. Apparently it is a horrific thing. It's incredibly painful. But to dislocate the hip joint is astoundingly difficult. It is a real injury to be able... You cannot just go up to somebody and just pull their hip out of joint. You might be able to manage their little finger, but you cannot just pull the hip out of joint. But what do we read here? God just touches his hip and it's out of joint. Just touches it and it's out of joint. And from there on he's, he's hobbling. Isn't that a remarkable thing that God is doing at that point in time? It's as if God is saying, you know, right the way through this night, Jacob, I could have, I could have just destroyed you in a moment. Have you ever had one of those experiences as a kid? Lads, hopefully. You know, well, not, not that it's a good thing to have had this experience, but I would hope that it's only lads who went through the experience of the scrap in the schoolyard and, uh, you know, you're trying to kind of wrestle and fight with this other guy. Uh, and, um, and you feel as if you're both uh, of fairly equal kind of strength. I remember those days. Well, this was not even close because God, all the time, was way superior in strength and power. But right the way through the night, he allowed Jacob. He allowed Jacob to feel as if he was fighting against it. And then in a moment, he just touches his hip so that he can't walk. And he's limping. And I think that that moment for Jacob changed everything. Have you ever had one of those moments where suddenly you see everything in a completely different way? I think for that moment, for Jacob, that was a new way of seeing everything. He suddenly saw things from a different perspective. He had come face to face with God. And now he saw things differently. He just saw it in a way that he didn't before. So that the very next day. The very next day. When he's asked the question. Where have all these children come from? His response is this. They are a blessing. That God has given your servant down through these years. Every one of them are a blessing from God. Look at everything else that I've got. All of this stuff. The, the, these, this cattle and camels and flocks of sheep. All of this has come as a blessing from God. I think that that is a remarkable change that takes place for somebody who previously was spending all of his life scheming to make sure that he achieved it. And now he realises it was God all the time. It was God all the time. I thought that I was doing this, but now I can say it was God who was blessing me. Even when I was trying to do it my way, even when I was trying to do it through my own strength and in all of the ways. Are you doing that at the moment? Are we doing that at the moment? Are we still going through life as if we're striving to achieve, as if we're the ones who are doing all of the work? Or have we changed our view yet 
which says, do you know that everything that good that comes into life, it's because God is, has blessed me. It's from him. That's where it's come from. But isn't it interesting? Specifically, it's the children that are seen as the blessing from God. They're the ones that Esau picks up on. Who are all of these? These are the children that God has blessed me with. It's as though Jacob looked into the eyes of those children and he saw God's blessing. Looked into their eyes. Why is it? Why is it that that's a particularly unique blessing? I guess in lots of ways there is something very precious, isn't there, about the relationship that exists in families. It's a a blessing. It's a blessing from God. That is why God's church is described as a family. Uh, It's as though we come into the family of God. Because families are a blessing, and I know that many of us are in situations where we might be, able, we might be looking at this thinking, but, but I don't have that kind of family. That's the blessing of being part of God's family. The Apostle Paul, he didn't have children. He never had children. But he called Timothy his special, precious son. There was such a relationship that existed within God's family that suddenly all of those precious representations of family life become ours in a bigger scale. It's ours. Because that's what God has designed for us to be in this kind of special, precious relationship. And uh, and Philip and Abby, you, you have a, a, a family and it's a precious blessing from God but it's a blessing that in a real sense is to be shared in God's family to be together and to share together to be part of this family and at the same time there is a real precious blessing that we see in the Bible in new life in life that comes through families I don't know what I don't know what Esau thought when he looked into some of the eyes of those children. I wonder whether he saw Isaac's eyes. But he's got he's got Uncle Abraham's nose. <laughs> I wonder whether he thought that. Or wow. He's got, he's got mum's teeth, whatever it might be. Isn't there something precious about that? Because the Bible describes a world, doesn't it, initially where there's a tragedy that breaks in. In fact, God says, if you rebel against me, you will surely die. You will surely die. But isn't isn't new life sort of sort of a continuation a continuation of those that have gone before a heritage 
those of you who didn't know, uh, Abby's dad, little Phoebe's granddad, it was such a blessing and a privilege to know Ben. It was a true blessing to have known him and to have had him as even in a small way as part of our lives it was a privilege but you know what in some little way doesn't that life continue in the children and in the grandchildren don't don't we know that don't we see those moments where we see you know they look at you and we're reminded doesn't it bring us to remind ourselves that God loves families? Doesn't it remind us that God's family will never die? God's family will be one day eternally reunited. There is no prospect whatsoever for these children here who Esau looks at to be reunited with granddad Abraham in this world. There is no prospect of that. But God's family is different. God's family says there is going to come a day where new life means real new life. New life which is eternal, which is rooted in Jesus how can we say that? Isn't that just a scandalous thing to say? If it isn't true? Well, yes, it is. It is a terrible thing to say. It is an awful thing to say if it's not true that new life continues. But that's exactly what it does, according to Jesus. And he says, I can prove it to you because I've risen from the dead. I'll go before you. And every one of you who believe and trust in me... You're going to live forever. You're going to see each other for again. You are going to be reunited in my perfect family. That is why we gather together in a church like this. A gathering of God's people who say, in some little way we represent a little part of the family of God. We're just a part of the family of God. But there is going to come a day when the real family of God is going to be seen. And there's going to be more than you can count. We said it earlier. The singing is going to be from more voices that you can possibly discern. But there is going to be one family. And I think really that's why God places so much emphasis on children. Because he sees every single one of us who believe and trust in him as his children. How precious is that little one to you? How precious is every individual child of God to God himself? How precious? How can God describe how precious we are to him? Well, he described how precious we are by dying for us. That's how precious I guess that there have been points in Jacob's life where he would have given his life for the sake of his children. Well, God did. He gave his life for the sake of his children. That's why we honour 
and glory in the family of Jesus. And why we love days like today where in a little way we can join with this family. In honouring a family who want to serve Jesus with their children. May God bless you and keep you. And may his face shine upon you.